You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love shown to us in Christ Jesus that breaks our chains, that we might boldly approach your throne. Give us grace in our time of need now through your word. We ask this in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, what does a graveyard in the Middle East have to do with us in Birmingham, Alabama? That is the question that faces us this morning. And to put it more theologically, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have to do with our ethics, with our moral choices, with how we live in the here and now? The answer Paul suggests in our passage this morning is everything. If Jesus really did rise from the dead then all of reality has been radically altered. The very trajectory of history has been changed and this has major implications for life in the here and now. Paul begins our passage today by addressing the betrothed. Previously throughout this chapter, he has addressed the married and the separated or widowed, those contemplating separation, those married to non-believers and those who are seeking to improve their situation. But now he addresses those who are not married or not yet married. And he does so in a very strange way, doesn't he? He says that he has no command from the Lord, that he's giving a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now this is a little bit confusing, confusing but what he means by this is that he's not trying to set out a biblically mandated relationship. While he will argue that singleness is the best option, it's not the best option for everyone. It doesn't by any means make you holier at all. We see this in verses 36 to 40 where he outlines that if it's better for you to marry because singleness is difficult for you, then that's what you should do. But if you can remain single, then in light of the end, in light of eternity, singleness is the better option. See, Paul wants to uphold both marriage and singleness and show that there is freedom in the Christian life to choose either or, to make decisions when both options are good. But we need to make these decisions in light of eternity. We learn elsewhere in the Bible that marriage is good. In Genesis 2.18, we learn that it is not good for man to be alone. In Ephesians 5.32, we read that marriage is a sign that points us to the love that Christ has for the church. Paul loves marriage. In the beginning of this chapter, he upholds it and he reminds us how we're to love our spouses. So in verse 29, when Paul says... From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. This is not a license to neglect your spouse. Men, do do not hear this as a license to ignore or to abuse or to belittle your spouse. That's not what Paul is saying here. But what he is doing is he is reordering our priorities, reminding us of what is important in this life. 
He's trying to turn our gaze away from the things of this life and to point, point them towards heaven. The reason for this is in verses 29 to 31. Look at these verses with me. This is what I mean, Paul says. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. The time has grown short. The present form of this world is passing away. This is not Paul being a nihilist and saying that the end is coming, give up, it's all meaningless. No, this is language of eschatology. It's language of the end of the world. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that changes our life now. From the beginning of this letter, Paul has been expounding about the cross of Jesus Christ and what that means for our life. That it's foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it's the power of God for those who are being saved. That it's the end of divisions in the church, the end of boasting and the end of living in the ways of the world. But now he turns to look at the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes in our life. The resurrection marks a new time. A new age has begun. The age of the Spirit, the age of the Church, the age of the New Covenant, sealed in Jesus' blood. The age of sin and death is over. It's done away with. And today is the day of salvation. The resurrection means that we have the first fruits of heaven. See, in the resurrection, the future is brought into our present. It breaks into our present and is brought forward. In the resurrection, we get a glimpse of what life will be like at the end, when everything will be put right and when we will all be raised to new life. But that future has not yet come fully. So we live in an in-between time, in the now but not yet, looking back at what Christ has done for us and looking forward to when Christ will return and set everything right. But because that future has broken into our present, this brings us new perspective. It brings new perspective to our current circumstances. It relativizes our social commitments. It trivializes our material possessions. It's not that the time is actually would be short, as though there's not much time left, as no one knows the day or the hour. But because the end is a reality, attested to by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that puts all of life into a different perspective. In light of eternity, the time we have on this earth is fleeting. Paul might just have Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 ringing in his ears. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
This has a lot to do with our identity, doesn't it? Paul is reminding us that our identity shouldn't be in the things of this world where moth and rust destroy, for those things are passing away. But we are children of God, children of heaven, citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And from there we await our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, time is different for us. We know that Jesus will one day return and we look forward to that day with great anticipation. And this shortness of time radically affects how we live in the here and now. Our identity shouldn't be based in our marital status or the number of possessions we have, our friendships or our happiness even, but it should be based in the Lord. Though you may have lived one way before you came to Christ, in foolishness, in weakness, in drunkenness, in sexual immorality, as a swindler or full of greediness, because you have been ransomed, because you have been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus, you now belong to Him. Your identity is found in Him. You don't have to live like you used to, like the ways of the world, for your life is hidden in Christ. You don't have to go around from one thing to the next trying to find that thing that will finally satisfy you, that will finally bring you fulfilment, because they will not. And ultimately, these things just become distraction, distractions from our devotion to the Lord. This is why Paul is such an advocate for singleness. Not because you become more holy by becoming a monk and going into a monastery, but because in singleness you can have a single-minded devotion to the Lord. Paul illustrates this in verses 32 to 35. Those who are unmarried are anxious about the things of the Lord, he says, how to please Him, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married, they are anxious about worldly things, how to please their husband or their wife. Now this is something I've only just been starting to learn as tomorrow will mark the fourth month of my marriage. But in that short time I've, I've noticed what Paul has been talking about. When I was a single man I didn't have to worry about what anybody thought about how I used my time or my money, if I purchased this or that, if I did this or that. I didn't have to worry about anyone questioning me of my choices. But now as a married man I... I feel myself saying to myself, is that what your wife would want for you? Is she going to be happy with that you know, croissant that you purchased, with that bagel that you just ate? Is she going to be happy with the things that you're doing right now? I didn't have to worry about that as a single man. My only worry was to honour the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. I was single-minded in my devotion to the Lord. But that's not to say that marriage is a bad thing, as now I have someone to consult, someone to help me keep on track, someone who can help me where I'm lacking and when I get distracted from the Lord. But that's not the case for everyone, is it? And many people have been able to contribute much to the body of Christ through their singleness. People like John Stott or Vaughan Roberts. But we need to remember that these verses aren't all about the right relationship to have. 
Paul isn't instituting a biblical relationship as though that's what everyone has to do. But it's all about how the end of time changes the way that we live now. And Paul is showing us how that works out in our relationships. Because the time is short, we shouldn't use what little time we have chasing after the things that the world chases after. But we should be focusing our energies, our time, on eternal things. And this applies whether you are married or single. But to live in light of eternity is easier said than done, isn't it? And I've recently been failing at it. I mean, I fail all the time at it, but recently it occurred to me that I've been thinking about my future a lot. I've been living in light of the end, but that end is my retirement on this earth. I've taken control of my Australian finances and made a 401k in Australia, and I've set up a Roth IRA here so that my family will be cared for once we retire. Now, when I was single, I didn't care about those things. I didn't you know, have to think about, would my wife be cared for once we retired? Would my children have money when I'm gone? But since getting married, I've realised that my time in this life is really short and the time to begin planning for that future is now. I've subconsciously been putting Paul's words into action, but I've been living in light of the wrong end. I've been living in light of my earthly retirement and not of my heavenly retirement. And this has distracted me from trusting in God, from being devoted in body and spirit to the Lord. But what if we actually believed that Jesus was returning? What if we actually believed that what Paul was saying here? What if we lived as though Jesus was returning tomorrow or this afternoon? What if we actually had urgency and we gave things their proper priority? If instead of caring what people thought of us, we actually shared the gospel with them because tomorrow they may face judgment? What if we cared more about having people over to share the gospel with them than how our homes looked, how clean our bathrooms were, how well we could cook? What if Jesus' return actually made a difference to your life? If instead of watching TV to drown out the drum of life, you opened the Bible, you prayed for people to be gripped by the gospel. What if we had urgency to see people come to Jesus, to see our co-workers grow in their love and knowledge of God, to see our children grow up in a family that is shaped by the gospel, not by social media, to see our city gripped by the love of Christ, yearning to hear more about who he is and what he's done for us. What if we prayed like Jesus was coming back tomorrow? If we prayed with urgency for our family and friends to be saved? If we prayed for our city and country to be ready for Jesus to return? What would it look like for your life to be shaped by the gospel? Not so that you would look right and be acceptable for God when Jesus returns, but because your heart longs to do the things that God loves because you have been freed from sin, freed from the ways of the world. You are no longer a slave to sin, but by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can now walk in step with the Spirit. 
Paul is reminding us here that the goal of the Christian life is not to become middle or upper class citizens. The goal of the Christian life is not to get married, to settle down and have children, to buy a house in a nice neighbourhood with a white picket fence. The Christian dream is not the same as the American dream. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? What good is it for you to have a clean house in a nice neighbourhood but never let anyone use it? What good is it for you to have all of the friends, the most friends in the world, but not care about someone's eternal destiny? What good is it for you to be saved from sin but continue to live in it? Brothers and sisters, you have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own, you belong to him. And he is coming back to finish what he has begun. This we know because God raised him from the dead and his spirit dwells within us as a guarantee that one day we too will be raised that we might be with him. And until that day comes, we we fix our eyes on him and we cry, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.